Welcome to the third Music Tourist Podcast. My name is Olaf Furness, and in 2016, I hosted the world's first international music tourism conference. I'm also the founder of the Wide Days Convention, a member of the Scottish Tourist Guides Association, and the co-writer of Under the Radar, Scotland's longest-running newspaper column dedicated to emerging artists. This podcast shines a spotlight on great examples of where music and tourism converge. And for this episode, I'm joined by Barry Nisbet, founder of Sessions and Sail. Launched in 2018, it combines a cruise around the Western Isles of Scotland with musical tuition and a festival component. You can find out more at sessionsandsail.com. Welcome to the Music Tourist Podcast. Today I'm joined by Barry Nisbet, founder of Session and Sail, which I would describe as something that combines a retreat, a cruise, and also a festival element. But um, I'm sure Barry's going to have uh, another way of describing it, and uh, perhaps in a more um, in a more florid way. So, Barry, welcome to the podcast. What is session and sale? Well, thanks very much, Olaf, for uh, for having me in. First of all, uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, Sessions and sale is like you say. Uh, we call it Scotland's floating music festival. So, uh, it's a festival, a folk festival, or a series of festivals where. Uh, which takes place aboard a tall ship. And I already got the name wrong. I forgot to add the <laughs> S on sessions, uh, but there are various uh, various sailings over the summer months, so the S is important. Tell me, who goes on these trips? Do people pay to join it when you say it's a festival? How's it all set up? How's it structured? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we, we have up to 12 passenger berths that we can sail on each trip. And is that people getting tuition or do they have to have a certain standard of uh, musicianship before they're allowed to join? How does it work? Uh, there is tuition involved, but we don't set a, a bar on the standard of musicianship, which is, seems to work very well uh, so far. And how many, so you say got a dozen people on there, do, you, uh, do they all play different instruments? Do you have a limited number? So it's like, well, right, we only need one mandolin player, but we could, you know, we'd like a class act player in the mix. So how does it work? How do you how do you decide on who's joining the trip? Well, again, that is something that so far we've left completely up to chance and we've always got away with it so far. Uh, we've always had a fairly healthy mix of instruments. And how did it come about? Uh, well, I suppose it was uh, partly due to my own uh, my own identity crisis. I've never been sure if I'm a musician who sails or a sailor who plays music, so uh, it was a way of of kind of clarifying that. But it also took place from a meeting with the owner of the ship, who uh, uh, was already keen to work with uh, various pursuits, including uh, you know everything from wild swimming to kayaking to painting, and uh, we felt after a conversation that music would work very well. I mean, it is an impressive-looking ship. It's It's got what I can see on the picture, uh, half a dozen sails. At least I see half a dozen without my glasses on. Uh, it, it, describe the describe the ship and what is, how do you determine the route? 
Yeah, well, the ship, the Lady of Avenel is the primary ship that we use, uh, and she's really ideally suited to what we've done so far. She's got comfortable cabins for up to 18 on board in total. Uh, she's got a nice big saloon on deck so that there's a big table we can all gather around and play music. She's got two masts, and we can actually set up to 11 sails, but she's also uh, of a good size so that you can sneak into most of the nice little anchorages in the west of Scotland, Orkney, and elsewhere. And what are the routes that you take? Do they do they differ? Do you stop in different places according to the trip? How and how do you decide on where you're going to stop? Yeah, well, that's the almost the funnest part of the job, really, is sitting down with the chart with the charts uh, and thinking where could we go? You know, where where could we visit if we did a trip out of Malag or a trip out of Kirkwall? And uh, we try to vary the location, uh, if not every time, then as often as possible. And do you have people, well, obviously you have to start at some place, so is it that you tell them where they're starting, but you're not going to tell them where they're going to get off or where you're going to stop? Yeah, we like to keep it fairly vague as sailors because uh, it's nice to be able to respond to what the wind does and to set the sails and and sail to the destinations as much as possible. And then, of course, there's always the chance that uh, poor weather is going to come in and, and dictate where you can't go. And have you, have you had that before? I mean, have you ever been mid sort of jam session and then the next thing there's thunder and lightning and uh, <laughs> 30 foot waves or something? <laughs> I mean, the very first sessions in sail trip, I think the very first night we had something like that. We were sitting anchored at the base of the uh, the back of the Coolins in Sky having a, a lovely session and then the wind started gusting down off the mountains quite hard and I think we were dragging our anchor. So we've often had to leave an anchorage uh, for that reason. And do you, do you have any people throwing up? I mean, do you get a lot of seasickness? I mean, not really. We, we do try to make sure that we end up at least every night somewhere that's nice and flat because it has to be conducive for playing music. It has to be a good environment for people to relax and get the instruments out and you don't want anything sliding around when you're having a jam session. And what kind of music is it? Do you, is it I mean, my assumption has always been that it's it's traditional Scottish music, but how would you describe it, and does it vary what comes out according to who's on the on the ship? I mean, it definitely varies depending on who's aboard the ship, but what we mainly try to do is tailor the music to the region we're sailing in. So if we're in Orkney, for example, we'll try to make sure we get two or three Arcadian tutors aboard during the week, and they'll teach us some Orkney tunes, and we'll try to play tunes that relate to the area we're sailing in. Uh, the same in Ireland last summer, we were over in Donegal, and we got some local tutors from Donegal to come and teach us some Irish tunes. So we really do try to base it around where the ship's operating. And do the tutors continue on the journey with you or do they come on and then get off again once you once you sail on? We've kind of hit on a model where we do both. So we tend to sail these days with two full-time tutors who sail the whole route with us. And they're kind of part of the core sessions and sail team. So they'll be regularly sailing with us every year and... Uh, and we sort of work very well together. And then we'll try to get local tutors on for an afternoon, an evening. Ideally, maybe they'll even do a little passage with us, but they are very much local tutors who are just there to give us a bit of local flavour and teach us some of the tunes from the region. So on an average day, how, does it, how much time do you spend sailing? How much time do you sp spend playing music? And getting, you know, how much t tuition time is there? And... How do you fill the rest of the, the day? Yeah, the day seems to fill very quickly. It's almost like there's two days in every day because most days we'll have a sail in the morning. We'll try to get from A to B 
And if we've got a tutor sort of lined up for the afternoon, we'll try to be anchored by lunchtime so they can join us for lunch. And then we'll have a good old tuition session in the afternoon. And then in the evening, we might go ashore and play some tunes in a pub or a hall, or we might just have a session on board. So, Do you, do you cook all, do all the cooking on board as well then? Yeah, we, can, we take on a, a cook for the trip as well. So we have a full-time chef working on, the, uh, on every sessions and sail trip. Wow. What kind of food do you have? Uh, again, we try to keep it local. Uh, we try to get some nice local produce when possible, but it's usually uh, very hearty because people are quite hungry after spending you know, the day at sea. People are in need of something that gives them a good bit of sustenance as well. The reason I ask is that I was once at a f- festival in the Faroe Islands and they have this schooner in the bay and you, that was like the, the VIP area, so you'd you'd leave in a rubber dinghy and they would they would drop you off there and the crew kind of doubled up as chefs so it was instead of being instead of being musicians and uh, sailors these were sailors and cooks but they it's the best seafood soup i've ever eaten it was amazing it sounds like a good festival <laughs> yeah it was great um, and so you're you're speaking of festivals you did mention the the fact that you also see it as a kind of floating festival obviously you're not going to get uh, a whole load of people on board to see performances how does that work do you do you get off and play in halls do you get off and play at other people's festivals what's the what's the setup for it that's what we tend to find best is when we do get off and and we do find visiting the smaller places is more rewarding for us we we, we find it more effective to be the festival and rock up in a in a small village, then we would find it to come somewhere big where a festival's already happening. We tend to find that just complicates the uh, what we're trying to do quite heavily. So how does it work? Do you phone them up? Do you? I take it you have the contacts all around the the isle, islands, and you you say, all right, well we're planning to go to that place. We'll give them a quick call and see if they want us to come and play or. What's the setup for it? Yeah, exactly. I guess it's been one of the big learning experiences of running Sessions and Sale is that in the early days, I was contacting venues almost a year in advance. And of course, nobody knew who was going to be working that day. And what we've learned is that it's nice to get it all set up in advance, but we're also getting a nice uh, phone book of people that we can call if we just happen to you know, arrive in Portree a few hours early and we feel like going ashore and playing some tunes in a pub there. Now, one of the things with these big cruise ships is that very often they they come on land, they do an excursion and they maybe spend a bit of money in a castle and perhaps in a, a gift shop at the terminal, but that's about it. And I know that you haven't got to the point of doing any economic impact studies yet, but I'd imagine there's quite a lot of ben- businesses benefit from your um, from your work, so obviously starting with the the ship ship owner themselves, the the tutors that are paid to come on board, and then obviously the the pubs. Um, how how many different businesses do you think you are ultimately interacting with, or who are benefiting from this on a on your average um, on your average journey? Yeah, it's quite a lot and it's quite varied. As you say, everything from the ship charter fees to the musicians that we employ uh, to, I suppose, uh, when we rock up in the remote places, the uh, the local musicians and, and the local uh, arts organisations or music groups that we're able to, to sort of give some money to. 
but but everything from that to to like local pubs and halls in the remoter parts of say Orkney, Shetland, the Hebrides, where you know if we put up some posters that the Sessions and Sail ships arriving. Uh, we all bring our instruments up to the hall and you might get a similar number of locals coming with their own instruments and then the pub at the hall has a, a really good night. I've often thought about this because quite often the talk around music tourism is is around cities and it's around big festivals. So the, the studies, were excellent studies and reports that have been done by UK Music, for example, they'll only measure events or live events over 1500 now that's that is in a big city like glasgow is or anywhere really is you know it's a good income and it's it's a good um it's a good thing for the local economy but really if you've got someone spending you know 500 quid or a thousand pounds in a in a village hall that that makes a much bigger difference than if you've got someone spending 500 quid or a thousand pounds in in the middle of Glasgow or or Edinburgh for that matter yeah I think so I think it's one of the great benefits of the scale that we're working at is that we're able to go to the smaller places and make a real difference I think both economically and socially I think uh, we can visit the small halls that maybe the big festivals don't really get to and we can bring the festival to people that wouldn't necessarily get to the festival and who comes on your tours who how many people have you had so far is it like 160 or something i think it's about 160 so far yeah and that's what like 15 cruises in total since you started that's right yeah 10 up till this year and we've had five so far this summer and who's joining you is it is it a certain demographic is you know, where are they coming from I mean, we do market it to the uh, to the music community, and I suppose the trad music community primarily in in Scotland and the UK. So I suppose that does dictate a certain demographic. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the issue of uh, it is a certain demographic that has the money and the free time to actually come and do a trip like we're doing. So we're trying to, this year for the first time, we've tried to offer a few uh, sponsored, fully funded places as well to young people or people who may not be able to afford one of our trips and I think that's proven a very successful avenue to look at as well. So when you say a uh, certain demographic uh, and certain time availability I, I assume you're you're me- meaning people that are are older or pensioners or you know or working part-time. Yeah I would say 50 or 60 percent maybe retirees but uh, but that does vary quite a bit from trip to trip as well. Uh, how much does it cost? Uh, we charge about uh, I think our, uh, we're between 1,295 and 1,385 for a week's trip uh, in 2024. Okay, and that's, I mean, that's obviously decent because if you think about how much it would cost to go to all those islands, a lot of listeners won't be aware of you know, how expensive it can be to go over to the islands in Scotland, especially if you have a car, which is usually necessary if you want to get around. So... Yeah, that's a it's a pretty good deal and you're getting the tuition on top of that as well. Exactly. No, that gives you your accommodation, it gives you your transport, it gives you all your meals and your tuition, your uh, your local events, uh, everything apart from your bar bill basically. And tell me um 
what if there's someone who wants to come with their other half, but they they're not musically inclined? Do you do you give them a tambourine, or do you just <laughs> get them to help out the cook? How how does it work? <laughs> it often does work out with them helping the cook, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly something we're quite happy to to encourage. Just for we we generally say if at least fifty percent of every booking should be a musician that makes sure that you know the sessions aren't going to stop and we make it clear to the non-musician that you know part of their uh, fee is also towards music tuition so they might not be getting the full benefit of that but mo most people see it as free entertainment on the other side of that so it tends to work out just fine oh well yeah i mean that's if you look at it like that people spend a fortune for these pods at festivals and the so-called glamping so you know, if you've got the festival every day in front of you, um, if that's that's what you want, then yeah, you're really you're getting the VIP treatment, really. <laughs> aren't you? And have you had any surprises? I mean, since you, what year did you set up? Was it 2018? 18 was the first year. That's right. And yeah. were there any things that surprised you with those uh, those first voyages where you said, "All right, that's not what we expected," or anything that worked differently to what you'd anticipated? Definitely. We've certainly honed what we do. I mean, in the early days, I, we, we, for the first three trips, we ran a, an end-of-trip Cayley where we, we put on an event ashore. Uh, it was a huge amount of work and a large amount of expense, and it wasn't really worthwhile. I think we've kind of moved away from that model, and we tend to find it works better uh, without doing that. And... What were there, have there been any interesting people on board, or have there any been any surprises in terms of the the type of guest you've had? Absolutely, the the trip tends to attract some really uh, interesting characters, very very talented people. I think uh, some of the biggest surprises have been maybe the talents that sort of come to the fore by about day four or five. Once people really start to feel comfortable and in a a group they can trust, you know, there's there's always hidden talents that come out. Do you have neuroscientists or doctors or, I don't know, like people with unusual professions, but where they are really gifted musicians? I mentioned those two because they are two areas where I do know a lot of talent, mu talented musicians who work in those fields. Interpreters and translators are another one uh, where, you know, we there, there are a lot of them or disproportionate number of them are gifted musicians. We've had all of those things. I neuroscientists, doctors, translators. Yeah, I've. Uh, <laughs> wow, so you're, you're right on the nail there. Well, what else have you? What else have you had? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, everything from professional musicians, computer programmers, uh, like you say, medical professionals, definitely, uh, to school teachers, to uh, gamekeepers. Uh, it's been a real cross section. And when you're on one of the I'm going to call it, I call it voyage, cruise, trip, mm -hmm. a holiday uh, retreat. But when you're, I mean, for me, they're all interchangeable. But if they're, if they're not, if I'm making a mistake with one of these terminologies, do, <laughs> do correct me. But when you are on one of these cruises, what kind of things can you expect to see? Do you, do you see, I don't know, sea eagles, for example, or Fish, dolphins, whales. Imagine that part of the the world. I, I've seen, I've seen whales on the west coast of Scotland. 
what kind of things have you encountered wildlife-wise? Yeah, absolutely. It's been incredible for wildlife. We've had some real, uh, really good encounters. I mean, the first trip we carried out was in the small isles in the area just south of Skye, and that is one of my favourite parts of the Scottish coast, uh, partly because of the wildlife. There's dolphins, there's minke whales, uh, there's basking sharks. I mean, we've seen humpbacks doing full-body breaches off Barra. You know, we've had sea eagles you spot on most trips if you if you keep your eyes peeled. Do they do they ever get attracted to the music? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, we had uh, we, we we sang the uh, Orkney Selkie song to some seals at Mingley a couple of years ago. That was quite a a special moment. And did they did they pop their heads off and listen? <laughs> the seals especially. Yeah, they've got a real curiosity. Wow, that's really cute. I mean, do you have any films off that or any footage of it? I think someone might have filmed that uh, encounter. I'm not sure who, though. Uh, I'm not very good at gathering the bits of film that, that, get, that get made during the trips. Now, we've talked about all the, the positive stuff and, you know, all the great things that the, the cruise offers. But I imagine that, especially when you're setting something like this up, there's going to be inevitably going to be challenges. What do you feel were the, the really big hurdles when you were setting it up and what are the, the main challenges that continue now? Because I imagine it's not exactly easy pulling this whole thing together even when you've done it 15 times already. I mean, I suppose in the early days it was a, it was a new concept. I had no... I was really beginning from zero with mailing list with uh, sort of with who was actually going to do the trip. So there was a great uh, a great sense of you know we've, we're going to put this trip on, but does anyone actually going to come? So I think with any small business, you know, the minute the minute the inbox went with a with a booking was a was a real uh, you know was a moment to do a little dance on the floor, and I probably still do one every time someone books a trip. How long do they generally take to sell out now? I mean, this this year is. Uh, Probably, I announced the uh, 2024 trips only to the mailing list a week ago, and uh, we've got two sold-out trips already, with uh, the other three not that far behind. So it really is beginning to get a great momentum behind it. And that's you, I take it you're getting repeat business now then as well? There's a lot of that, yeah. Uh, some of the trips this year ran with almost all repeat business, but usually we, we've got about 50%, uh, 50% repeat and 50% new new participants. And do you feel that people that have been on it before are then bringing other people out of their shell? Do you find it's almost like a, a mentoring role that they begin to assume? They do. That is exactly what we experience, yeah. I think the 50% is a, is a really healthy number to achieve because the people who are repeat customers uh, or repeat participants, they definitely uh, create an atmosphere, but there's enough newcomers that uh, it keeps it fresh and keeps the and keeps the mix of people interesting. Have you got any things that you're planning that you haven't done yet? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we don't like, we don't like to get too set in our ways. Uh, I think as soon as we become comfortable with something in this project, we, we find it's time to to try something new. So, I mean, next year we're planning to run our first ever songwriting voyage, which I think will be more of a retreat than a festival. I think uh, we're going to work with Jenny Sturgeon and Boo Hewardine, and that's going to be more of a a songwriting retreat that'll run from Oban to Barra next May. And how will that work then? Will you have a, a, st a portable studio on board or will you be stopping off at studios on the... So there's a studio on Jura, isn't there? And there's 
um, Black Bay Studio on um, and the Wii Studio on Lewis. Do you do you plan to go to any of those, or are you just going to do it all on board? I think we're planning just to do it on board. Uh, it'll be Barrow will run to, so I think Black Bay and, and the Wii Studio will, would probably be a bit too far out of our way. Uh, and I think we'll 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 hopefully finish the trip with everyone having written something, but not necessarily made a professional recording of it. And do you see it opening up into other genres? I mean, obviously, there's a good reason for it to be traditional because of the ties to the islands and there being a, a thematic element to it there. But could you could you see yourself doing it with with other genres or testing testing the waters, so to speak, with other genres? Aye, definitely. I mean, this year we did recently just run our first ever bluegrass Americana trip, uh, mainly because so many of our uh, participants are big fans of that genre. So uh, it's not necessarily the geographical location you'd do a bluegrass trip in, but uh, but it is very popular in Scotland as well, and it and it uh, it was successful. I guess it's got its origins in Scottish music, or some of its origins as well, hasn't it, bluegrass? Well, exactly, and I think that's one of the things that uh, doing a retreat or a festival trip aboard a ship kind of throws up, is the fact that this was how the music travelled, was aboard ships like this one. So you could say that, you know, music crossed the Atlantic in this way, so what we're doing is actually very true to origin. And you, you obviously there's a songwriting camp. Are there any things that you're... Are there any other things that you've got in the pipeline? Uh, I mean, there's a few ideas to tweak things. Uh, one trip next year, uh, we're going to try running with two ships instead of one. So we're going to bring a little fleet. And uh, again, it's all a little bit experimental. Uh, we'll try to run the same experience aboard both ships, but they'll cruise in company. So there'll be opportunities to cross over, swap crew, maybe raft the two ships up once or twice during the week and have a and have a bigger session and possibly descend on on the same venue and some of the localities we go to. And how many crew are there? Obviously there's the cook, but do you, how do you divide your time? Are you helping the, are you like the first mate or something and then also leading the, leading the sessions or do you, do you alternate or is it sometimes if the, the weather picks up, you have to roll your sleeves up and, um, and, help out how does it how do you divide those duties yeah again that's something that we've been uh, that's kind of gone through a bit of a process and, and an evolution uh, for the first two seasons we did I sailed as a trip leader uh, kind of external to the crew uh, but obviously I got stuck in as and when necessary with everyone else but uh, partly as a response to COVID actually I started skippering my own trips and taking on extra musical tutors instead and we found that's been a model that's worked really well ever since. So that's what I've been doing this year and next. Obviously, the COVID had a, had an impact on everything. But where you were concerned, were you able to run any cruises during the during the pandemic? I mean, we did nothing in 2020 at all. Everything was cancelled that year. In 21, we cancelled a May trip. And then by August, we were just at the point where we were allowed to do it again. And we ran one trip and there were so many people who I think were very disappointed they'd missed the trip in May that we ran a second trip back to back. And it felt like a, a reawakening. It, it was, uh, yeah, we were able to do two very careful trips where we engaged with no one ashore and just went to isolated anchorages and, 
and did everything we could. And are there any other things that you can think of that you're, you know, I guess this is an opportunity if there's any things you'd like to do or you want to get some partners on board? Are there any things or any musicians that you'd like to appeal to that you might want to come and join you at some point? Yeah, I mean, we're always on the lookout for more uh, for more tutors to get involved and it's been a great opportunity already for me to work with some of my musical heroes and, and really just to just to bring people aboard and, and it's a great opportunity for me to jam with, uh, you know, people like Hamish Napier or Lauren McCall or Jenna Reid who have all done trips with us already, uh, Carol Anderson, Harry Bird. Uh, but yeah, we're always looking at uh, who else might be able to be involved uh, and could that be people from further afield, from other countries, other islands? Because you're from the Shetlands, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it could certainly be. And I mean, we've certainly spoken about, uh, like, for example, the bluegrass trips. We we work with uh, Theo Bernard and Pep Emmerichs, who are who are fantastic bluegrass musicians from Scotland and Australia. But we have spoken about the possibility of uh, of attracting musicians from further afield that might be a a great uh, asset on a trip like that. Well, Barry, this has been excellent. I've actually been looking forward to doing this interview for a long time. Obviously, you are you are at sea for most of the summer up until now, and I was away as well. So this has been the first opportunity. But thanks very much for for coming on. I think lastly, it's obviously worth mentioning that where people can contact you and where people can find out more about Sessions and Sale. Absolutely. Well, it's sessionsandsale.com. Uh, so simple as that. If you Google Sessions and Sale or punch that in, you'll find our website. Uh, and I'm at barrynisbet.com. And uh, the email addresses are all, are all right there on the website. So please get in touch. Well, good luck with all the future sailings. And um, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Olaf, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Chuck P for production, Kelman Grieg for the sign bed, and Tim Pogarzola for the quality recording gear. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share it. And if you want to get in touch, my email is olaf at musictourist.net. LinkedIn and YouTube are simply Music Tourist, while Instagram is The Music Tourist. Thank you for listening.